Hello, everyone. Welcome to the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. It is July 8th, and we are into the second half of the year, reading each day from both the Old and New Testaments with the goal of completing the Bible in a year. We're not reading for reading's sake. We want to take time to discern the significance of every part of this great book. We want to drink in the message and let the Word of God do a work in us and transform us further into the image of Christ. We know that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, in the United States of America. This part of our country has experienced two great spiritual awakenings in the past, and each time it has been what we would call a Word of God revival. And our prayer is that once again, people would discover afresh the Word of the Lord and the Lord of the Word here in this part of the world and in every part of the world. And we know that one day when Christ returns, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of His glory. As we have learned in the past six months of Bible reading, the Old Testament is actually a Christian book. Each of the 39 Old Testament books anticipates the Christ event, the incarnation, the living and dying of Jesus of Nazareth as our substitute, His rising and His ascension to the right hand of the Father, where He serves as our perfect High Priest and King. He's a fulfillment of all that's anticipated in that perfect King, perfect Priest, perfect Prophet, who offers a perfect sacrifice and is the full and final Word of God. Jesus Himself made it clear that the Old Testament Scriptures anticipate Him and testify of Him. In the book of Revelation, we read that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. But now we are in what you might call tough terrain in our Bible reading because we're going through the first nine chapters of First Chronicles, recording the genealogies and histories of the tribes of Israel. Ten of these tribes were deported to Assyria. Two of the tribes, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, return after the Babylonian captivity. Before we return to the narrative, the chronicler gives us a further record of the tribes with their genealogies and exploits. So let's go to 1 Chronicles and pick up where we left off yesterday. 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 18. The Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had valiant men who carried shield and sword and drew the bow, expert in war. 44,760 able to go to war. They waged war against the Hagrites, Jator, Naphish, and Nodab. And when they prevailed over them, the Hagrites and all who were with them were given into their hands, for they cried out to God in the battle, and He granted their urgent plea because they trusted in Him. They carried off their livestock, 50,000 of their camels, 250,000 sheep, 2,000 donkeys, and 100,000 men alive. For many fell because the war was of God, and they lived in their place until the exile the half-tribe of Manasseh. The members of the half-tribe of Manasseh lived in the land. They were very numerous, from Bashan to Baal Hermon, Senir, and Mount Hermon. These were the heads of their fathers' houses, Epher, Ishi, Eliel, Azriel, Jeremiah, Hodaviah, and Jahdiel, mighty warriors, famous men, heads of their fathers' houses. But they broke faith with the God of their fathers, and whored after the gods of the peoples of the land, whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, 
king of Assyria, the spirit of Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he took them into exile, namely the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Hala, Habor, Hara, and the river Gazan, to this day. Chapter 6. Descendants of Levi. The sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The children of Amram, Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. The sons of Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Eleazar fathered Phinehas. Phinehas fathered Abishua. Abishua fathered Buki. Buki fathered Uzi. Uzi fathered Zerahiah. Zerahiah fathered Meriath. Meriath fathered Amariah. Amariah fathered Ahitub. Ahitub fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Ahimaaz. Ahimaaz fathered Azariah. Azariah fathered Johanan. Johanan fathered Azariah. It was he who served as priest in the house that Solomon built in Jerusalem. Azariah fathered Amariah. Amariah fathered Ahitub. Ahitub fathered Zadok. Zadok fathered Shalom. Shalom fathered Hilkiah. Hilkiah fathered Azariah. Azariah fathered Seriah. Seriah fathered Jehozadak. And Jehozadak went into exile when the Lord sent Judah and Jerusalem into exile by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. The sons of Levi, Gershom, Kohath, and Merari. And these are the names of the sons of Gershom, Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi. These are the clans of the Levites according to their fathers. Of Gershom, Libni his son, Jahath his son, Zima his son, Joah his son, Ido his son, Zerah his son, Jeatharai his son, the sons of Kohath, Aminadab his son, Korah his son, Asir his son, Elkanah his son, Ebiasaph his son, Asir his son, Tahath his son, Uriel his son, Uzziah his son, and Shaul his son, the sons of Elkanah, Amasai, and Ahimoth. Elkanah his son, Zophai his son, Nahath his son, Eliab his son, Jeroham his son, Elkanah his son, the sons of Samuel, Joel his firstborn, the second Abijah, the sons of Merari, Mali, Libni his son, Shimei his son, Uzzah his son, Shemaiah his son, Haggaiah his son, and Asiah his son. These are the men whom David put in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark rested there. They ministered with song before the tabernacle of the tent of meeting until Solomon built the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they performed their service according to their order. These are the men who served and their sons. Of the sons of the Kohathites, Heman the singer, the son of Joel, son of Samuel, son of Elkanah, son of Jeroham, son of Eliel, son of Toa, son of Zuf, son of Elkanah, son of Mahath, son of Amasai, son of Elkanah, son of Joel, son of Azariah, son of Zephaniah, son of Tahath, son of Asir, son of Abiasaph, son of Korah, son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, son of Israel, and his brother Asaph, 
who stood on his right hand, namely Asaph, the son of Berechiah, son of Shemaiah, son of Michael, son of Baasiah, son of Melchijah, son of Ethni, son of Zerah, son of Adiah, son of Ethan, son of Zimah, son of Shimai, son of Jahath, son of Gershom, son of Levi. On the left hand were their brothers, the sons of Merari, Ethan, the son of Kishi, son of Abdi, son of Moloch, son of Hashabiah, son of Amaziah, son of Hilkiah, son of Amzi, son of Bani, son of Shemer, son of Mahli, son of Mushi, son of Merari, son of Levi. And their brothers, the Levites, were appointed for all the service of the tabernacle of the house of God. But Aaron and his sons made offerings on the altar of burnt offering and on the altar of incense for all the work of the most holy place, and to make atonement for Israel according to all that Moses the servant of God had commanded. These are the sons of Aaron, Eleazar his son, Phinehas his son, Abishua his son, Puki his son, Uzi his son, Zerahiah his son, Merioth his son, Amariah his son, Ahitab his son, Zadok his son, Ahimaaz his son. These are their dwelling places according to their settlements within their borders, to the sons of Aaron of the clans of the Kohathites, for theirs was the first lot. To them they gave Hebron in the land of Judah and its surrounding pasture lands. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, to the sons of Aaron they gave the cities of refuge, Hebron, Libna with its pasture lands, Jatir, Eshtemoah with its pasture lands, Hillen with its pasture lands, Debir with its pasture lands, Ashan with its pasture lands, and Beth Shemesh with its pasture lands. And from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon, Geba with its pasture lands, Elameth with its pasture lands, and Anathoth with its pasture lands. All their cities throughout their clans were thirteen. To the rest of the Kohathites were given by lot out of the clan of the tribe, out of the half-tribe, the half of Manasseh, ten cities. To the Gershomites, according to their clans, were allotted thirteen cities out of the tribes of Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, and Manasseh in Bashan. To the Merorites, according to their clans, were allotted twelve cities out of the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and Zebulun. So the people of Israel gave the Levites the cities with their pasture lands. They gave by lot out of the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin these cities that are mentioned by name. And some of the clans of the sons of Kohath had cities of their territory out of the tribe of Ephraim. They were given the cities of refuge, Shechem with its pasture lands in the hill country of Ephraim, Gezer with its pasture lands, Jachmiam with its pasture lands, Beth Haron with its pasture lands, Ijalon with its pasture lands, Gath Ramon with its pasture lands, and out of the half tribe of Manasseh, Aner with its pasture lands, and Biliam with its pasture lands, for the rest of the clans of the Kohathites. To the Gershomites were given out of the clan of the half tribe of Manasseh, Golan in Bashan with its pasture lands, and Ashtaroth with its pasture lands. And out of the tribe of Issachar, Kadesh with its pasture lands, Dabaroth with its pasture lands, Ramoth with its pasture lands, and Anem with its pasture lands. Out of the tribe of Asher, 
Mashal with its pasture lands, Abdon with its pasture lands, Hukok with its pasture lands, and Rahab with its pasture lands. And out of the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with its pasture lands, Hamon with its pasture lands, Kiriathaim with its pasture lands, to the rest of the Merarites were allotted out of the tribe of Zebulun, Ramono with its pasture lands, Tabor with its pasture lands, and beyond the Jordan at Jericho, on the east side of the Jordan, out of the tribe of Reuben, Bezer in the wilderness with its pasture lands, Jaza with its pasture lands, Kadamoth with its pasture lands, and Nephaoth with its pasture lands, and out of the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with its pasture lands, Mahanaim with its pasture lands, Heshbon with its pasture lands, and Jazer with its pasture lands. And this concludes today's portion from the Old Testament book of First Chronicles. Let's see what we can glean out of today's reading from the Old Testament. The Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were successful in battle because they cried out to the Lord in First Chronicles chapter 5, verse 20. We are catching up with the apostasies among the descendants of Israel. Among the heads of the families of the half-tribe of Manasseh were brave warriors and famous men. Sounds good? Read on. In chapter 5, verse 25, But they acted treacherously against the God of their fathers and played the harlot after the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. The consequence of their disobedience was that they were taken into the Assyrian captivity by Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, as they became one of the lost tribes of Israel. We have the listing of the tribe of Levi. Moses is a descendant through his father Amram, a Kohathite, in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 3. We then follow the lineage of the high priest Aaron and see among them such notables as Phinehas, Zadok, and Azariah, who served as priest in the house which Solomon built in Jerusalem. The genealogy extends to the descendants that were taken into Babylonian captivity. Jozadak was the descendant of Aaron that was taken captive at Jerusalem and brought to Babylon. The sons of Levi are listed in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 16-30. through 30. In this list, you will recognize the name of Kohath, remember him from Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, and Korah in Numbers chapter 16 and Jude chapter 1, verse 11. The prophet Samuel's name shows up in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 26. We learn the names of his sons, Joel and Abijah. There is a wonderful list of worship leaders beginning in verse 31, and those who ministered to the Lord in song. Aaron and his sons served the altars in the outer court, in the holy place, and the most holy place on the Day of Atonement, in chapter 6, verse 49. From verse 54 onward we have their settlements listed. Of the forty-eight cities allotted to the Levites, six were cities of refuge. They are included in the assignments. See if you can recognize them. Just in case you've forgotten, the three cities of refuge on the east side of the River Jordan are Golan, Ramoth-Gilead, and Bezer, and the three on the west side of the river are Kadesh, Shechem, and Hebron. Now let's travel to our next stop on our Bible tour, the Book of Acts, chapter 26, verses 1 through 32. Paul's defense before Agrippa. Acts chapter 26. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, 
especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme, and in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day I have had the help that comes from God, and so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that, by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. Then the king rose, and the governor, and Bernice, and those who were sitting with them. And when they had withdrawn, they said to one another, This man is doing nothing to deserve death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, 
this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. And this is the end of our reading from today's portion from the New Testament, the book of Acts. In the context of Paul's testimony before King Agrippa, we are told of his heavenly vision. The term heavenly vision could be misconstrued as a man-made vision with heavenly characteristics. However, the better translation might be vision from heaven. The heavenly vision is not your private imagination of a preferred future. Our culture is obsessed with so-called success mantras, such as what the mind can conceive, you can achieve. However, when Paul speaks of his heavenly vision, he is talking about his very real encounter with the risen Jesus of Nazareth. He saw the real Jesus on the road to Damascus. He knew what he saw. He knew what he heard. He was convinced that it was the person of Jesus. He was convinced that what he saw was of divine origin. The heavenly vision is the reality that the Jesus that rules at the right hand of God is the same Jesus that lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death to atone for man's sins, was raised from the dead, and ascended to God the Father. What we do in life will be dependent upon what we see, and the most important thing we can possibly see is the truth as it has been made known to us in Christ Jesus. Paul knew whom he had seen and what he had been called to do. May His commission refresh you in the knowledge of God's calling upon your life. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Acts chapter 26, verses 16 through 18. Paul is always ready to give a reasonable answer for his standing as a believer in Jesus Christ. As he speaks before Festus and his guests, King Agrippa and Bernice, he has carefully thought through his defense. He hangs his testimony on the solid nail of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of our future resurrection when we will appear before him as our righteous judge. We should never underestimate the powerful testimony and implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It signals that the claims of Jesus Christ are to be heeded. This approach is similar to what we read in chapter 23 when Paul appeared before the Sanhedrin. He said, I am on trial for the hope and resurrection of the dead. Acts chapter 23, verse 6, part B. Notice how the resurrection of Christ was central in the preaching of the apostles throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 24. Acts chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Verses 8 through 10. Verses 32 to 35. Acts chapter 5, verses 29 through 32. The preaching in chapters 10 and 13 and then in chapter 17, verses 30 and 31. We learn a lot about sharing the gospel in this chapter. Notice how Paul respects his audience and their intelligence in chapter 26, verse 3. He shares his testimony and highlights what he has in common with his audience. Paul says that he is on trial for having the hope that was shared by all those who believed that the God of the Scriptures had promised salvation. He points to the gospel facts. The Jesus he believes in was raised from the dead. He challenges their faith. Do they believe that God is God or that he is just a greater and larger version of themselves? Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? Acts chapter 26 verse 8. 
Paul points out that there is a reason behind people's unbelief. It is not an intellectual one as much as it is a false view of God and a false view of themselves. Paul's testimony is so powerful. This is the third time we read of it. Albert Henry Ross wrote under the pseudonym Frank Morrison the book titled Who Moved the Stone? He had this to say about Paul's testimony. Quote, How can we account for this incident having the admittedly historical consequences that it did? Why should a man of this tough breed and of this admittedly sane and virile mental caliber be uprooted in an instant from his cherished beliefs and swept like chaff before the wind into the dogmatic camp of his most hated enemies? It is not the immediate effects of the conversion that we are concerned with, though these are noteworthy. But how did this reorientation of a man's entire presuppositions survive the solitary communion in Arabia, the nine years' patient waiting in Tarsus, and all the bitter persecutions and hardships of the great missions? Why was one of the greatest intellects of the ages brought over and fixed in an instant of time from one pole of dogmatic belief to another? End quote. There were three responses to the gospel found in this passage. Number one, denial and mocking. This was the response of Festus. Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Acts chapter 26, verse 24. Number two, avoidance and pride. This was the response of King Agrippa. Paul assures him that because he knows the gospel events, the historic reality of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and because he has the words of the prophets, he should know enough to believe, for this was not done in a corner. The evidence is plain and demands a verdict. Agrippa does not deny, but he cautiously distances himself, mindful that full surrender is the logical implication of belief in the risen Christ. Agrippa replied to Paul, In a short time will you persuade me to become a Christian? Perhaps he feared being mocked by his host, Festus. His pride was so great that even when he could not argue against Paul's proclamation, he would not allow himself to be identified with these Christians and their message. He could not forego the sins of the palace to follow the true King of Kings. Number three, faith in the risen Christ. This is the response of Paul. All three men were faced with the same truth, but each had a different response. Paul is a firm believer and he calls all, whether rich or poor, male or female, Jew or Gentile, to be as he is, a follower of Jesus. And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day, might become such as I am, except for these chains. It is good for us to consider what our response is to the reality of the finished work of Christ that was sealed with a historic fact of resurrection. Are you a believer, or are you living in denial, avoidance, pride, or unbelief? Now let's move to the next stop on our Bible tour, the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. O Lord, deliver my life to the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Shemineth. Shemineth is probably a musical or liturgical term. We're not quite sure. A Psalm of David. Psalm 6. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Turn, O Lord, 
deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. For in death there is no remembrance of you, in Sheol who will give you praise. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. This psalm, Psalm 6, attributed to David, is a prayer request for mercy in times of trouble. In verses 1 through 7, he pours out his sorrows. He has foes without and fears within. He was sure he was facing death or was hoping to be able to praise God for his deliverance from his woes before he dies. For there is no mention of you in death, in Sheol, who will give you thanks? Psalm 6, verse 5. By verse 8, he has packed up his sorrows and given them to the Lord. He takes courage in the fact that the Lord hears our prayers in verse 8, and he is faithful to deliver us. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. Psalm 6, verse 9. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will suddenly be ashamed. In verse 10. Now let's go to the book of Proverbs, the treasure chest of wisdom, Proverbs 18, verses 20 through 21. From the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Once again, we are reminded of the power of the tongue to build up or tear down, to nourish or to cause distress to the hearer. The beneficial results of wholesome speech are likened to a harvest of delightful fruit. Destructive words that insult, demean, slander, malign, or attack do the devil's work. Jesus said, The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life, in John chapter 6, verse 63. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 to 30, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear it. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So let's not grieve the Spirit by our speech. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful for the magnificent rescue of our Redeemer. Thank you that we have the historic cross to point to with its empty grave and its stalwart witnesses. Give us a boldness to engage with others and proclaim why we are identified with Christ. May we, like the apostles, understand the needs of our audience, share the common ground we have with them as we relate our testimony, and may we faithfully communicate the core reality of the resurrection and what it means. We pray for open doors to share the gospel this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining with us today and pressing on as we read through the Bible in a year. We hope that you're able to get this podcast and download it successfully from wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any problems, do let us know. You can write us with your questions, your comments at podcast at newlife.org. And if you would like to receive a daily email which prompts you to read the Bible and also gives a written copy of the commentary with some illustrations and maps, you can subscribe at our website where you learn more about our ministries at newlife.org. Newlife.org. 
Well, I pray that you will be enriched in every way as you go through this day, and God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow and press on in our journey, our tour through the Bible in one year. Shalom.